I'm John Hansen, and this is Let's Get Legal Power by the Illinois State Bar Association. So excited to have Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors, who has fans out in Downers Grove, our pizza delivery guy yesterday, from Angelo's, I believe. Uh, and I know you're a fan of Angelo's. You've been there. Yeah. Uh, was like, oh, you're the John Hansen on the radio, and you have Audrey Anderson on tomorrow, and here she is. Yep. Isn't so that nice. cool? It is amazing to hear that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, you're a very respected guest, an attorney, of course, uh, uh, defense attorney now, but spent some time in the state's attorney's office. I'm saying that correct, right? The state's attorney's office. Correct. In DuPage County. Correct. And so you worked in the prosecutor world and the defense world, and we've talked about that a lot on the show. Uh, and when you said you wanted to talk about the Safety Act, I thought, well, this is great because you know both sides of this. So as you're seeing different arguments being made, legitimate ones on both sides about what the Safety Act will or won't do, I imagine you have a really unique perspective having been on both sides. Right. Absolutely. The old me that was the prosecutor can see all the benefits of having people incarcerated without a bond. But then the new me, as I represent these past five plus years, representing individuals that are charged, I I can see from their perspective how it is so difficult that you can't come up the funds, so then you lose your job and it affects you and your your livelihood and your family that's responsible and dependent upon you. Right. All right, let's start from the basics. Cash bail. I think a lot of people think they know what it is, including myself, but maybe don't know the facts. So currently, as it is in Illinois, what is cash bail? Right. So in the state of Illinois, you go before a judge when you're charged with a criminal offense and the judge sets bond on your case. And the bond amount depends on the facts of the case, the charges, your criminal history, your age, your likelihood to appear in court. Is it like a Rubik's Cube? The judge looks or not not a Rubik's Cube. Like a, like a, what do you what am I trying to say? There's like a formula, I guess, to it, generally speaking, for what bond is set at for you. Correct. So there's a formula. There's by the statutes, the, co- the code, the law of what factors the judge is to consider. But it's pretty much in a judge's discretion how much bond that they set on a case. But it's an unwritten rule, I suppose, on what to do, like first-time felonies, $10,000 in Illinois, or things like that. Or if it's a murder or significant, serious felony, a million or two. But in Illinois, like a lot of states, you don't actually have to post the entire dollar amount. Mm -hmm. So if a judge sets your bond at $10,000, people think, my gosh, I have to come up with 10,000 actual dollars. But that's not the case in Illinois. You only come up with 10% plus a processing fee. So it's only 1,000 actual, which can still be significant. For sure. It's just a portion. Of it. Does every charged person get a bond set for them, or can a judge waive bond entirely in the current setup? Correct. In the current setup, it could be that they do a no bond situation okay. where there's no bond that they post. However, it's not mandated by statute. So no bonds are typically when they're horrible crimes or murders, things that are significant and very serious. Oh, sorry. I was asking a different question, but I was going to get there next. So there's situations where they say it doesn't matter what you, you, we're not putting a money amount on this. You're staying in prison until the trial, right? Correct. Okay. Are there situations where a judge can say, eh, we'll let you go. Uh, you're free to come back. You're, here's your trial date for really minor offenses that there's oh. actually no cash that is exchanged hands. Correct. So that's very, that's. Yes, that's something that they do now in the current system, especially for certain misdemeanors. Like if it's a misdemeanor retail theft, so you steal like only a couple hundred dollars from a Walmart or Target, you can be released on your own recognizance where you don't have to post money. Or sometimes with first-time felonies, if it's a class four, like possession of controlled substance, perhaps the judge would not set any bond. So you can just go and not actually have to post any actual money. Okay. So if the Current system allows a judge to use that discretion and say, come back at your trial. Now, the system that takes place next year, 
this mandates that, right? Essentially, it doesn't mandate all cases, but it essentially says the assumption is there is no bail, right? No cash bail. Correct. Whereas now the presumption is the opposite necessarily. You're not guaranteed nor are you entitled now under the current system to just get out without posting money. But the new system that becomes effective January 1st of 23 is all people are presumed and shall be released without posting any money except for if the judge says this hearing and finds certain facts such as you are a threat to a specific individual or the community, then you shall remain detained in custody. Okay. And when they say that you are a threat to an individual or, or uh, part of the, or the community, um, they don't set a, a cash bond. It's just you are in prison until the trial. So it's kind of one extreme or the other. Correct. Okay. That's the basis for this and what the, the basic facts are. We're going to take a break and we're going to dive deeper into these myths, okay? Sounds good. Myths, facts, and there's like, look, there are a lot of legitimate arguments on both sides. I've been listening to this station now for the past two weeks. Well, I've been listening forever, but the last two weeks specifically, hearing a lot of really interesting perspectives from law enforcement about certain uh, parts of this bill that uh, at first you might say, oh, I support this, and then you go, ooh, I don't know about this little part and the other thing. So all opinions are valid on this. I know it's a really testy issue right now, but we're going to get some facts coming up after this on 720 WGN. The Pre-Trial Fairness Act, which becomes uh, law on January 1st, part of a broader bill, the Safety Act, which Governor Pritzker signed in 2021. Audrey Anderson from Anderson Attorneys and Advisors. We're going to try and walk our way through this. And you just told me off air, this is the bigger bill has been staggered in its implementation of different things, correct? Correct. And the bill itself, when it first came out in 20 or first was signed by Governor Pritzker in 21, is almost 800 pages long. 800 pages, okay. Yes, so it's been staggered in its effects coming July of 21, then January of 22, July of 22, January of 23. So it's been staggered in implementation of different portions of it. Right. Okay, one common myth, people that, well, I don't know, you tell me if it's a myth or not. Someone charged with attempted murder is going to be let go immediately. Odds of that happening? Slim, but the law allows it. It says it's that there is a presumption that individuals shall be released, okay. not may. So shall is mandatory for judges. So it puts the onus then on the prosecutors to, to prove what? So the prosecutors have to prove that there is a clear, present, significant risk to the public or specific individual, a threat. Okay. And then it's up to the judge to weigh both sides of that. Correct. With Correct. the assumption being that it's that person is released unless the prosecutors do a good enough job showing this. Correct. And the prosecutor's burden is lower. So thankfully, if you're a prosecutor, the burden is only by clear and convincing evidence that there is a significant present real threat to the community if this person's released. And the prosecutors are, for prosecutors, they're glad that it's only by proffer, meaning the prosecutor doesn't have to bring in witnesses or anything like that. Okay. The prosecutor can just summarize to the judge what the evidence is is that they have. They don't have to bring in a witness, the victim, video, police officers. So that makes it at least easier on the prosecutors for bond court. Right. It's not like beyond a reasonable doubt. Correct. Okay. Uh, and when I hear the attempted murder one, I feel like that's a slam dunk for prosecutors and not to make light of it. But if the, if the person's charged with attempted murder of a human and to the, 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 the level of threshold is you have to prove that they'd be a threat to a person or the community. You could just point to the person that they allegedly tried to kill and say, well, they're still going to be a threat to that person, right? Right. But then the defense side and the flip side is we argue, well, the threat was just to that individual. So that individual is no longer in harm's way. The individual understands and realizes what they did wrong. So now they are no longer a threat because 
the person that was the individual that they had the threat against is no longer there, if it was a murder or something like that. So we argue the flip side, that the threat was only to that specific individual, that threat is gone, so they're no longer a threat to the public. You're a good defense attorney, but I'm pounding my gavel and ruling against you. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, is that judges are still going to be able to use some discretion. Like there's going to be walks like a a duck, talks like a duck. We're not letting this person out. Very true. So it is up to the judge and it is subjective. So each judge would be different. But correct. For something serious like that, they'll realize and they don't look at it in a vacuum. They still consider the accused criminal history, the accused's background, their ties to the community, whether or not that person will stay around in the area. Like if they're just visiting from California and they just came in for Labor Day weekend and committed a crime but they're from California, are, are they going to stay here in the Chicagoland area? That's something the judge can consider as to whether or not they should be released on their own recognizance or kept detained. 773 brings up an interesting question. Can we get an example of a, where a first-time offender is charged with aggravated battery and would not be considered a threat to a specific individual or community? And I think what the person is asking, well, I don't know, it's kind of an open-ended question. I know you don't have a specific example in mind. But I think it brings up an interesting point that the people that are – this is before they've been uh, convicted of anything. This is after they've been charged. So they still have a presumption of innocence in the system, right? Correct. There is definitely the presumption of innocence. And bond court literally usually happens right after the crime is committed. So aggravated battery in that situation could be such as um, you you stabbed someone or mm-hmm. committed serious bodily injury to a specific individual. So perhaps it was a bar fight or a restaurant fight or something that happened in the spur of the moment. You still committed the crime, but you can argue it was just merely because you were intoxicated or perhaps self-defense. Right. So that's why the person perhaps should not be detained, should be released. Right. Uh, Proponents of this bill say that, like we said, this is still while you are presumed innocent. What happens if you um, have to post cash bail? Like, I think for a lot of people, we're like, well, yeah, we can raise a thousand dollars. Like, I may not have it in my bank account, but I have friends that could help me out in those situations. And people that are proponents of this bill say, but you have to realize not everyone's in that circumstance. And the people that can't get out on bond because they can't get access to even a thousand dollars, 10 percent of a ten thousand dollar felony. It really does affect their livelihoods, right? Absolutely. So I've had clients that actually have great jobs. I mean, they're still living paycheck to paycheck, but it's a job that provides them enough income to support their family, rent a home or apartment, and has insurance. Well, if you can't post $1,000 actual because you don't have that in your account, you don't have vacation time to take off. Well, if you don't show up for work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're fired. So then you lose your job, your income, your benefits, like health insurance, things like that. So you're out. You've lost more than what a person who can post bond is. Right. So that's significant just for something that perhaps was a mistake or something that they're bailing, like a drug addiction. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the idea is like, let's level it up. If you took wealth out of the equation or people's access to money, this proponents would say is the fair way of doing that am i summarizing what they what they think exactly exactly because two people could be in the exact same situation but one could afford to get out and one can't why should they be treated differently just because of money that doesn't seem right right a lot of people say the idea of like if you can't do the time don't do the crime and we get a lot of comments like that well like why should i have sympathy for someone who has to find a thousand dollars i can't find it well they probably shouldn't have committed that crime then should they have 
Right, that's true. And a lot of times we have clients that commit a crime because they're desperate. They're desperate for cash. They're desperate for who knows what. You know, they're stealing because their kids need clothes for the new school year. Yeah, it might sound, sound trivial to you. Like, why does your child need new clothes? Well, because it's devastating to a child if they're not clothes, right? They have hand-me-downs, their clothes don't fit, they don't have a new backpack or supplies for school. So someone commits a crime to get that stuff. Well, should they suffer and be in custody because they can't afford to get out? That just doesn't seem right. Yeah. And as a defense attorney, I imagine that working with clients is simply easier if you don't have to go to jail to go see them. And I'm not trying to say that some people don't deserve to be in jail while their crimes are, while this is processed. I'm just saying I'm suggesting is it does create an unequal system where people that have money can get a better defense because it is easier when you're at home. Right. Exactly. Logistically, it's difficult. You have to schedule a time to go in person to visit a client. I mean, sometimes you can just pick up the phone and hope and be assured that your attorney calls with your clients aren't being recorded. But just to get an in-person contact visit with your client, you're limited in time. You have only a certain amount of times of the day. You can't go after hours to the jail to set up a visit. So when you have a client that's out in bond, they can show up after hours when you're done with court. So it's just easier to have constant access to them. You can sit and spend hours reviewing police reports or video. Whereas if you have to go to a jail to visit a client, what privacy do you have to show a client a video of the crime when there's other inmates in the pod through the glass window that can look at what you're doing? Right. One side of the argument, the far side says this is like a purge law. Every law can be broken. There's no consequences. The other side says, no, the, this is all about justice. Everyone should be able to get out on their own reconnaissance unless it's absolutely serious. And there's a presumption of innocence. And I feel like the truth, as with most things, lies somewhere in the middle. Like These are tough decisions to make. Would you agree? It's very tough. And obviously, is dependent upon your situation. So if you're a family member of a defendant or someone charged, obviously you're a proponent for letting them being released without posting any money because it's your loved one. But on the flip side, if you're the victim of a crime and some person broke into your home or robbed you at gunpoint or broke into your store, you feel like you have no rights and the person's going to get out. So right. who's protecting you? Right. So that's, that's some of that's the issues. legitimate fear. Exactly. And, you know, this is separate from the cash bail thing, but I've heard interesting discussions from police officers, the idea of like class B felonies, they're called, or misdemeanors, Correct. like trespassing. Correct. They don't, how does it work now? Like if, 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 if right now, if I call the police and someone's on my property, they're in my garage, they won't leave. I call the police and they can get them out of there, right? Correct. The Currently. officers, correct. The officers can arrest them, bring them to court. You can sign a no trespass order. But the law changed with the Safety Act is that officers can't do that. You can't arrest a person. You can't force a person to leave your property any longer or your store, your business. If you own your own restaurant or dry cleaners, whatever, you can't have officers force a person to leave. You just write them a piece of paper and a summons and say, the officer says, please, I hope you can leave. But there's nothing an officer can physically do to remove an unwanted person from your home, your business, your premises. Peeping Tom, I hate to say Correct. it like that, but... You can't. The officers can't do that. It's just a Class B misdemeanor. They can't force the person. They can't arrest them to leave. So it really ties that officer's hand and the victim that has this person intruding on their privacy. Interesting. Yeah, I, there's a lot of sides to this. And boy, are we getting some texts on this issue for sure. Audrey Anderson, I wish we had more time. Perhaps we can follow up again soon, okay? Sounds great. I'd love to. Uh, the time goes by way too fast. How do you want people to reach you, Audrey, if they ever uh, need you? Definitely, they can look at our website and chat with us or give us a call at 630-877-5800. Yeah. 
I, uh, I I just know that there's so many people that are fired up about this, and it's an interesting discussion. We'll talk about it again some other time. Okay, Audrey? Sounds good. Thank you again. And keep those texts coming. We might have some time to answer them in a little bit. But first, we've got the news here on WGN. 